Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. This evening I want to turn your attention to the book of Numbers chapter 13. And uh, we're going to a, a familiar place in scripture and certainly to a familiar story. We're just going to talk about one portion of a great big story. I don't really know tonight um, anything that I will say that will be something you haven't already heard, but I have asked the Lord, already heard to some degree, but I have asked the Lord today to touch my heart and my mind and help there to be a fresh anointing on his word this evening. I want to talk about the the threshold of, of a promise the threshold of a promise. And this is where the children of Israel were coming into the promised land. And I found it interesting that in my Bible, there are descriptions of not just chapters, but certain even portions of a chapter. And uh, the title or the heading of chapter 14 in my Bible, it identifies the following verses as this. Israel refuses to enter Canaan. Amen. Just think about that. They refuse to enter Canaan after decades of a promise, generations of a promise, and they come to the very edge of what God is now bringing to fruition. And we'll talk about that this evening. The book of Numbers, chapter 13. We're going to go back to number 13 and... um, and back up in the story just a little bit. In verse number one, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. Now this was a place called Kadesh or some Bibles list this as Kadesh Barnea, but they are standing in Kadesh, and this is a staging area, if I could put it that way, for the children of Israel to prepare themselves to enter into the promised land. Now, to those who are familiar with the story, you know this was no surprise. This was very, very intentional. Many generations of intention brought them to this moment. And so you would assume that there would be so much joy in the camp that they have finally persevered and they made it to now what they have been hearing about since childhood, the promised land. The promised land in scripture was described as a place or a land that flows with milk and honey. Now the phrase milk and honey is really just a metaphor. It it means that all things good or the blessings of God are there. And so it was not a mystery. That may be a little bit unusual language for us today, but the, the children of Israel certainly understood that they were going to a place 
where all things were good or they were going to a place where God had placed his hand. The cities there were already built, vineyards were already planted, orchards were already produced and herds were already in the field and fatted. All they had to do was just walk in and take over. So what a great gift God is providing them. Amen. And so tonight when we, we today have the benefit of hindsight, we can look back in this story. They're living their lives in the scripture like we're living our lives today one second at a time. And so we have the benefit of hindsight. And so it's, it's easy to look back down through that 2020 scope of hindsight and think that the Lord should not have shown Israel what they were going to receive. But the Lord was being very open in his communication with them. And in Numbers 13, chapter 13, verses 3 through 16, I'm not going to read all of these scriptures tonight, but Moses assembles a team in this passage of scripture. Now, this is not a team of elite forces. This is not the Green Beret or the Navy SEALs of our day. It was more uh, more of a team of influence or influential leaders from within the, the children of Israel. And the goal here was that God would send would speak to Moses and Moses would assemble these team of influencers and these influencers would go into the promised land and they would witness the abundance of the land and then come back and share with the people. And in turn, the people would not only believe, but they would be comforted by the report that these men would bring back and that they would be comforted by the fact that indeed the the promise of their future was here. It was not just a promise any longer but it was here. So from the perspective of of choosing influential people, it must be said, it would be rightfully said that Moses apparently chose the right men. He, He chose the right men. Verses 17 through 20, Moses sent them in to spy out the land. And so they were going to check a number of things according to this scripture, whether the, the land was good to dwell in, they were going to see if the cities there, if there were cities there to dwell in. They were going to check whether or not the people that dwelled there were strong or weak, or whether they were going to be living in tents or strongholds or fortified cities, or whether the cities would be fat or fit, or whether they would be lean, and to see if there was wood in the land. Now those are all things you can glean from those scriptures that I just mentioned. And then the final command for this team of influencers were that, was that they were to bring fruit back because as according to the scripture, it was the time for grapes. And so Moses gave them very, very clear instructions that they were to return with an estimate of the military capacity of those that currently inhabited the land and what it was gonna take for them to, to conquer them. We know that Canaan, certainly while it was a promise, it was a land to be conquered. And so there are some promises that the Lord gives us and, and they're not like feathers that just kind of float out of the sky and land in our lap, but they are promises to get a hold of. I mean, they're promises to pull into our life and to pull into being. And sometimes there are promises to fight for. And so they were to return with an estimate of the military capacity of those that were there. And because it was harvest time for the first grape harvest, according to scripture, they were to bring back samples. Now, I don't think the timing of this was accidental, but I believe that God had all of this planned 
so that they would be able to see the abundance of the land that was before them. I believe the Lord wanted them to see the, the, the abundance of uh, what this land could produce. In Numbers 13, verses 21 through 25, we read about them going into this land to follow the instructions that were given to them. <coughs> the spies went forth and did everything that Moses directed them to do. The scripture even is pretty descriptive about the cluster of grapes that they brought back that required two men to carry and they carried them on a staff between those two men. Forty days this journey lasted. Forty days of inquiry. Forty days of of spying out the land and then they returned with everything that Moses asked for but they did return with something that he didn't expect. According to Numbers 13, 26 through 29, they returned with an evil report. While they conceded that the land did indeed flow with milk and honey, they looked right past the blessings of what God had in store for them and they focused on the size of the battle and not the size of the blessing. They focused on the size of the people and they focused on the size of these walled cities. Amen. But when they began to talk about these formidable mountains to conquer and we're not here to try to whitewash that or soft soap that but I believe that we read a very important passage of scripture and what could have become a turn point or a change point in the history of Israel in Numbers 13 and 30 the Bible says that Caleb stealed the people before Moses and said now Caleb was one of the, of the 12 spies. He said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Amen. So here was a voice of reason in the camp, a voice that said, I'm not denying that there are walled cities, and I am not denying that there are giants in the land, not denying that there's a few mountains to cross and a few hills to conquer. He stepped forward. He assured the people that we can do this. Amen. It was a recognizable voice within the camp. I think it's important to understand that. This was not a stranger who made his way out of the crowd. It was not a voice that no one could not recognize. It was a very recognizable voice that said, we are well able to do this. However, it wasn't enough. In verse number 31, let's pick up reading there and let's see how they kind of fatten the story up a little bit. The Bible says in 1331, but the men that went up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel saying, the land through which we have gone to search it, watch this carefully, it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come, which, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. The 10 other spies repeated their report, and then they added another layer of woe to it, because they said, the land, the land is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. Amen, the land eats up people. The people are giants and we are grasshoppers compared to them. They're tilting the table of negativity and cynicism in their direction. I think the saddest thing 
about this report is the fact that they were wrong. Amen. I want to say that again. The saddest thing about this report is the fact that they were wrong. They were absolutely wrong. Now, I'm not saying they were wrong about the giants, nor am I saying they were wrong about the people of the land being physically larger than they were, nor am I suggesting that they were wrong about the great walled cities. Where they were wrong is a place that sometimes we are wrong, and it's critical. They were wrong about how the inhabitants of the land viewed them. Amen. They said in, in, in their sight, we are as grasshoppers. They were wrong, oh so wrong. They said the people of the land, they're going, they're, they're, we're, going to, we're going to be afraid to go there because they're going to swallow us up. They're going to eat us up. They're going to, they're going to take control. Amen. But they were wrong because in truth, the people of the land of Canaan, the giants that they were going to conquer, feared them. Now, they would not know this unless we don't have a record of it somewhere. They would not know about this level, this level or this layer of fear for 40 years. Are you with me now? They said, we can't go in there. These people will swallow us whole. They're fighting men. They're not afraid of us. In, our, in their sight, we're just like grasshoppers. But I want to remind you, about Rahab when the spies went to spy out the land and they came to Rahab's house and she shared something with them that was vitally important in Joshua chapter two and verse nine. The Bible says, and she said unto them, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. Can I tell you today that if we could liken the enemy today to hell, if we could just liken that, hell is aware of the power of the church. And sometimes we think that in the eyes of hell, we're just a grasshopper in the sight of Satan. But can I tell you that Rahab, the most unlikely voice in the camp, said, I need to tell you something. We've heard about your God. And the inhabitants of this land, long before you got here, were fainting in their heart when they thought about the God you serve. Amen. She said their hearts would melt with fear. There would remain no courage in any of these men, all because of you and the God that you serve. The inhabitants of the promised land at that time were greatly fearful of the Lord and all the powerful things that he had done for Israel. Amen. Now, understand that the people were giants that lived there, but they recognized the power of God and they knew the testimony of the Lord. They recognized the children of Israel had been led out of Egypt by the hand of God. They knew about the miracles. Rahab implied that we've heard of the things that your God has done for you on this journey and they were afraid. But here's the shame. The children of Israel should have known this. <laughs> they should have known because of the God we serve, terror ought to walk before us. 
fear are to walk before us, not because of us, but because of the God we serve and the mission that we are on. Can I speak to the church tonight and tell tell you and, and, and let me listen in on this as well, that we need to never forget the power of the God that we serve and we should never forget the holy mission that we are on. Amen. I understand there are obstacles in the path of anything that's trying to move forward and progress forward in the will of God. There will always be mountains to climb, cities to conquer, giants to face, but can I tell you that they ought to be more afraid of us than we are afraid of them. Amen. Amen. They should have known that the Lord would not lead them to something that had been promised again and again and again and then leave them right at the point of entry of their promise. I'm going to tell you tonight that I am speaking to people that God has made promises to and not just one or two in this building. I believe I'm speaking to a church collectively, corporately that God has made promises to. I'm not talking about throwing caution to the wind and living on the ragged edge of foolishness but I'm going to tell you that if anybody ought to be confident about what God can do in our midst on our behalf it ought to be the church of the living God in this very hour. Amen. Let's clap our hands to the Lord on that. Praise God. And so now for the children of Israel, it's decision time. Do they believe the 10 spies or do they believe the two that came back with a good report? The 10 spies said it's all hopeless. Two spies say that the Lord is on our side and if the Lord is on our side, we are well able to take this. According to Numbers 14, one through four, we get a real clear snapshot of which voice they decided to listen to. The children of Israel started weeping, crying into the night. Joshua and Caleb, the two spies with a good report, tried their best to talk to the people. They were assuring them that the land was good and that they were serving a God equally as good. Their reward, follow me now in scripture, their reward for this positive message you ready? The people said, we're going to stone them. <laughs> that's, that's what they got for in return from their own camp. That's what they got in return for preaching a positive message that says, we are well able to do this. The whole congregation prepared to stone them to death. And so as far as the children of Israel were concerned, the decision was made, the die has been cast. The people wanted to go back all of the powerful, powerful miracles of the Lord, amen, and, and, and all that God had done for them, and now they feared to enter into this specific promise that God had made them. They failed to recognize the fact that the Lord's reputation went before them. They didn't know. <clears throat> they didn't know about a lady by the name of Rahab, and I believe others just like her, that knew about the God they were serving and all that God had done for them. In order to get to this place, they had to truly forget many things that God had done. They had personally witnessed the power of the Lord fall upon the Egyptians. 
Isn't it amazing year after year if you read through your Bible yearly, isn't it amazing when you read the story of deliverance out of the land of Egypt, how frightening and how bizarre the story is. And, and Pharaoh says, okay, okay, I'm gonna do it. And then, he decides, then the Bible says, but he hardened his heart. You would think, my goodness. And the children of Israel are watching all of this. They lived through this. This was not a testimony I think it's important for us to understand this was not a testimony that they had heard of their forefathers, but these were people that had witnessed this very thing. Amen. Remember now, Egypt was the primary superpower of the known world in that day. And all the miracles that God, not only did he lead them out and give them power to conquer the superpower of that day, but all the miracles that God did for them along the way. And, and I know that many of you are familiar with them, but the leading them out, of Egypt and they didn't come out with a low hand but they came out with a high hand. They came out with gold and silver and costly garments. They came out they came out victorious out of Egypt. They came across the 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 dry sea of the the dry ground of the of the Red Sea. They 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 watched the bitter water of Merah became sweet. They watched the water flow from the rock. The list could go on and on and on of people that had experienced real miracles in their life. Now here's the conundrum. I'm preaching to people tonight that have witnessed miracles in your own life and yet sometimes we struggle ourselves. Amen? So here they are. Israel had personally witnessed all of this. In Numbers 14 and 5, Moses and Aaron tried to reason with the people. They reminded them that the land was good and reminded them that if the Lord has brought us this far, reminded them that God is well able to give them what they needed to conquer. Amen. They went as far to even say this. Joshua and Caleb went as far to even say this. They said, rebel not against the Lord, neither fear the people of the land. Now think about that. I understand we get, don't fear the people of the land. There's nothing to be afraid of. But they said, rebel not against the Lord. And they, they didn't really think about this as rebellion against God to get here where God is wanting to take us and then us say, no, 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 the price is too high. We're not sure we can do this. But Joshua and Caleb saw it for what it was and they said, don't rebel against the Lord. All, the, all they received in return for their pleading was a desire for the very people they were trying to help to stone them. The Lord was unimpressed with the choice that they had made. And you read this every how you want to read it, but it is what it is. The Lord called a meeting. Yes, he did. Amen. He appeared in the tabernacle and he called for Moses to come meet him. Now, under the best of circumstances, I wouldn't want to be Moses on any day, but I certainly wouldn't want to be Moses on this day. Amen. Because he was going to meet with a God that was not happy. Moses met with him in Numbers 14, 11. The Bible says, and the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me? I mean, how, how much more have I got to do before they believe me? For all the signs which I have shown among them, what else can I do to convince them that I am their God and I am on their side? Verse number 12, this is the Lord speaking now. I will smite them with a pestilence and disinherit them. Now watch this. And I will make of thee a greater nation and a mightier nation 
than they. Move over, Moses. If they think I need them to accomplish this, they're intoxicated on the wrong thing. He said, from your seed, Moses, I will make a nation that is greater than them and I will make a nation that is mightier than them. My, I don't know about you, but that is a frightening passage of scripture right there as far as I'm concerned. Move over, Moses. Let me sh- I will strike them. I will disinherit them. It will all be over in a moment of time and I will raise up somebody. Can I tell you that this is a fearful thing in the Lord and I think about this a whole lot that you know if we ever get to the point individually or we ever get to the point collectively as a church that we decide that we decide this is enough this is as far as we're going to go that God would give up on us and just let us live out our days and he would find somebody else that wanted to be blessed and somebody else that would step into the promise I think about that individually I think about that collectively and I say God all the time help me to find the balance to walk with you every day in the fullness of your of your nature in the fullness of your light. Amen. I don't want to overstep my bounds, but I don't ever want to understep my bounds to stand at the threshold of a promise. Now, I think this is an interesting intersection, a very frightening intersection because the Lord was willing to wipe them out and start all over. And this was not the first time. Wouldn't be the last time. But fortunately, Moses, fortunately for them, at least, Moses began to intercede on their behalf. Now, it's a quite interesting debate, and again, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read it, but you can find it in Numbers 13 and through 19. It's an interesting debate between Moses and the Lord. And Moses pleaded with the Lord for the lives and the souls of the children of Israel, and because of this prayer and because of this man, boil it down to ever what you want, but there's only one person to credit for this. And that was Moses. But just because they avoided instant death didn't mean that it was going to bid well for them. Because there's always consequences to our decisions. Especially decisions that go directly against the will of God. The Lord had decided the consequences for the children of Israel and this is it. They are not going to enjoy the promised land. Amen. We can read about those consequences in verses 20 through 25. All of the adults, everyone that was 20 years of age and above, except Joshua and Caleb, of course, were condemned to stay in the wilderness until they died. But their children would inherit the promised land. Now, I, I don't know about how far you want to take this in your mind. I, I, again, I will understand that I've had longer to think about this than you particularly today. But can you imagine their sentence being this, that you're just going to live out your life and die? That's it. You did, there's no rhyme or reason and there's no real meaning of life and there's nothing to reach for and there's no real purpose. Paul said later in the New Testament, just to paraphrase, he said, if I thought this is all there was to it, I'd be of all men most miserable. So you just think it was the daily grind and that there was no heaven to gain or there was no promised land there was nothing worth fighting for you're just going to live out your days and you're never going to enjoy the promises of the Lord amen so on that sad note let's bring this up to date by thinking about our lives and thinking about decisions that we make now 
I'm not talking about the little decisions that we're called on to make multiple times a day. Amen. If you think about how many decisions we have to make or we're given the opportunity at least to make in the course of a day, sometimes it's overwhelming, isn't it? You just go into a restaurant. It it's almost never ends, the questions, before you, before you can get the meal even ordered. So I'm not talking about those small decisions, but I'm talking about the big, and I want to even, if I can use a, uh, a word here to maybe just, to just pierce our soul intentionally, I want to think about irreversible decisions that we make. I hope you're listening. Because there's just something about a bad, irreversible decision and I want to put emphasis on bad, and I want to put emphasis on irreversible. Those decisions that we make that we just have to build a room in our life for, because the consequences of those decisions are not going away. They're there forever. I'm not trying to sound condemning. I'm just I'm wanting to kind of get us sober for just a moment because we have to really think about the decisions that we're called on to make in life. And so I, I've got some advice here and if you want to get out your pen and paper and turn on your recorder, you certainly want to hear this. My advice is, is don't make bad decisions. I'll give you a minute to write that down. Don't make bad decisions. How do we avoid making bad decisions? I'm, I'm always worried about making the wrong decision. I've often confessed, I'm not proud of this at all, I've often confessed my, my supreme abilities to overthink a situation. And if anybody can overthink something, you're looking at one who can. But it does seem to be a good question. How do we avoid making bad decisions? I believe that, that we can consider some biblical answers. Amen. The problem is not just the bad decision that the children of Israel made while standing at the edge of their promise. But, but you see, the real problem for the children of Israel really began leading up to this moment. And so I want you to, to really hear me now. I don't think that generally, and, and I, I hate to speak in broad terms, so allow me some wiggle room for there to be an exception somewhere along the way to this rule but generally speaking huge bad decisions are generally the end result of many small bad decisions we just keep making bad decisions and we never learn from those bad decisions and then after a while, those small bad decisions have given birth to something we can't reverse. Is everybody all right? And so I want to focus in closing here this evening. I want to focus on, and it's going to be a long, longer runway, so don't get up and run around. But I want to focus on three primary mistakes that they made leading up to this huge mistake. And, and to be clear, I'm not just talking about the children of Israel. 
I want us to find ourselves in these situations. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna if you don't mind, I would like to get in the front of this line. <laughs> I think that these mistakes that they made, we are capable of making today. And so we can't afford to think that just because what we're talking about is kind of bound up in the book of Exodus that it just stays in the book of Exodus because really the principles of what we're talking about are as, as, are as alive today and now as they have ever been. We are not, because we're human, we're not immune from being equally as foolish as they were. And so any one of these bad mistakes can cause us to give birth to some things in our life that we can't turn around. So I think the very first thing that the children of Israel did, and we find this consistent thread all throughout their deliverance to the promised land, is they kept forgetting about the miracles of the past. I I don't believe I'm alone at all tonight when I think in my mind that if I had been standing there when the water parted in the Red Sea and I walked across on dry land that would have been enough but then God is really God and he just always does God things so he didn't just deliver the children of Israel they didn't just cross over through the mud but they went across on dry land then when they got across on the other side then as the enemy came in after them then the Lord caused the wind to stop blowing and the water came in and drowned the enemy now wouldn't you think that alone, that God would have never had to say anything else. Every time Moses stood up, everybody in the camp would have stood. When Moses sat down, they would have sat down. You would have thought that they would have settled in their mind, now this is a man of God right here that has been called to deliver us out of Egypt. I mean, we're on the right path. We're following the right person. But they just kept forgetting the miracles of the past. And every time God would do something miraculous in their midst, when you're reading through these first few chapters of the Bible, aren't, aren't you amazed at how many times you read this phrase, and the children of Israel murmured? <laughs> really? Really you're complaining again? They had seen the power of God daily since the time of the 10 plagues. So let's talk about before they ever even left Egypt. They watched God daily. And they watched God buckle Pharaoh to his knees and beg them to leave. Amen. Now that's not just an expression to see the power of God. They had literally seen the power of God. They had witnessed the power of God every day. The Bible says that when they were delivered out of the land of Egypt that God covered them with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So how could you forget the miraculous power of God when they lived with it every day? I'm not sure how you would forget about the Red Sea. How would you forget about Mara? How would you forget about water from the rock? But how would you forget about something that is a constant reminder every day? Cloud by day, fire by night. Cloud by day, fire by night. But he still was a forgotten entity in their midst. Every morning except the Sabbath He provided them food in the form of manna and and in the most literal sense, it was give us this day our daily bread. Every day God fed them. So how can you take these miracles in their midst and yet forget the God of the miracle? They had seen him take out the known world superpower with ease. 
They had watched him provide water in a desert, not just for them, but for all their animals. They had seen him defeat the enemies in the wilderness already. And yet, when they heard about these walled cities and these large, larger than normal people, they grew faint in their heart. And when they forgot about the miracles of yesterday, they forgot about the power of the God they serve today. Now, I'm going to tell you that both individually and as families and as a church, we have got a rich history with a miraculous past. And the moment that we feel like God that brought us to this point cannot lead us to the next point, we are going to get ourselves in trouble and what Joshua and Caleb called rebelling against God. And so I don't want to fail to step into the promises of the Lord. I think another, I think another uh, principle that we can take away from the mistakes that they made was their view of themselves and their view of their God. When the Lord is in the equation, it's helpful to remember that no wall around a city can be high enough or wide enough. These people may be giants, but they're not giants to God. They may be giants to us, but they're not giants to God. The scripture says that he uses the earth as his footstool, even, so even if the earth is his footstool, a nine-foot giant is still not a formidable foe in the eyes of God. Amen. And I think another thing was that they treated their fears as a reality instead of being what it was. It was just a fear. Now, I don't think all forms of fear are bad. Some fears can, can motivate us to do the right thing. We can, I'm being very serious about that. You can, have a, you can have a scare in your health and it kind of shock you into living a healthier life and Am I right about that? And, and kind of, and you can have certain fears. Other fears can get adrenaline flowing in our bodies and, and help us to conquer things that in, in an emergency situation or, or circumstance that we would not or, normally or ordinarily be able to do. But other than a few things like that, other than that, most fears are useless and generally they're counterproductive. The fear of the children of Israel certainly were. They feared the people in the promised land. They feared how they viewed them. And I've already covered it. They didn't understand how those people viewed him. They feared that the cities were too well built and their walls would be impossible to overcome. And each of these fears were unfounded because in truth, the exact opposite of that was, was what was actually there. We heard about, I mentioned Rahab, that informed them that the people were in great fear of the power of the God that they served. And when it came time to attack Jericho, now you can read about Jericho and this great walled cities and how the chariots could ride multiple chariots abreast side by side on the walls of the city. So this was not a fence. This was a great walled city and history will bear to, to and bring to light what I'm about to say that, that God didn't just knock over the walls. If God had knocked over the walls that were that big, it would still have been a wall. <laughs> and so in truth, that the walls of Jericho, the Lord pushed flat into the ground and the children of Israel walked across into that. And so I'm gonna tell you that what we think is an impossible thing with God is not an impossible thing with God. Amen, he didn't leave them any hill to climb, but God made Jericho theirs. The feigned walls of Jericho were not a problem and the Lord never intended them to be. He never intended them to be. He said, you see that city? Am I in the book now? He said, I have given it into thine hand. 
And we could, we could just wear God out with questions. Well, what about those walls? Well, what about this? And what about that? And what about the other? And God didn't want to get caught up in details. He said, I have given you that city. And here's the recipe. Here is the prescription. Walk around it. And he gave them how many days to walk and how to walk in silence and when to walk with praise. Now, I hope that we can bring to bear these points in mind when we're making important life decisions. I don't want to forget where God has brought me from. And I don't want to forget the miracles of the past. Amen. I really don't want to make the, the, forget what God has done in my life. And if he has, if he has ever watched and, and, and helped us through, and I'm, I'm being very, very sincere, as transparent as I know how to be, that every major decision that my wife and I have ever been called on to make in our life, we sat down and talked about not just the decision before us, but the decisions behind us. Does that make sense? Amen. We're not just going to talk about the mountain that we're facing now, but let's think back. Let's think back about how God helped us in this situation and God helped us in that situation because sometimes in our humanity we quake with fear because we're not in, unless we're, unless we're blind or foolish, we can see the giants, we can see the mountain, but I don't want to see that and forget the, I don't want to see that and forget the sight of God in all of that. Amen. God that we're serving is a big God. And I said it a moment ago in my opening remarks, I'm gonna ask you to stand, that chapter 14's heading of the book of Numbers is Israel refuses to enter Canaan. Wow. You finally got here. You finally got to the biggest moment, the greatest decision in your life, and what are you gonna do with it? Now, I understand that all the decisions that we make in our life are not as big as those that the children of Israel was making while they were standing at the edge of what would be their promise. But I mentioned a moment ago that sometimes it's all the little decisions that we make poorly that eventually give birth to things we can't undo. But not to leave us on a negative light, can I tell you that by the same token, that I believe all those little small decisions that we make right are the decisions that help us and, and are, that, use, that God uses them to serve as a catalyst or a springboard to help us make major right decisions. Amen. And so life, of course, is made up of far more small decisions than large decisions, but it's what we do every day in our service to God that helps us through that particular moment. And if God has brought us to where we are and we are not here accidentally, if there's nothing random or, or, or arbitrary about our gathering here tonight, then we know the hand of God is with us and we're standing at the threshold of a promise. Amen. Now, the question is, what will we do with that? What will we do with that? The night that I proposed to my wife, most men can think about this and remember this. That was a pretty big decision. I thought about it a long time. I rehearsed that moment so many times over in my mind. Now, if you're waiting for something mushy and gushy, it's not going there. But... 
I played that over and over and over. I wanted to get it right. I wanted, I wanted to come out right. And when she said yes, I had to figure out what, where to from here. Because you see, I hadn't really, I'm just being honest. I hadn't really thought past that moment. <laughs> I was glad she said yes. I anticipated her saying yes, but when she said yes. Now, where to from here? And so that's where I feel like we stand tonight, individually and corporately. I believe the Lord is saying yes. So now what are we gonna do now? We gotta do something with the yes. We gotta do something with the hand of God that's upon our life. Amen. And so I pray that the hand of the Lord will help us and touch us. Would you make an altar where you're standing right there? And I wonder if we could pray, not only for us individually. I'm certainly wanting to pray for us individually and for our own individual families, but I wonder if we could pray about our church, Hatchbend Apostolic Church, to pray about our welfare and to pray about not only our past and our present, but to pray about our future and ask the Lord to touch us and help us. God, I'm asking you today to anoint our minds and our hearts. I pray for every father and husband in this building tonight. And I pray for your holy anointing to be upon their lives. And I know, God, that you can stir us and wake us, even in the middle of the night. Lord, you can literally wake us up in the night. And you can stir and disturb our sleep. You, you know how to get our attention. I'm asking you, Lord, to help us to lead our families victoriously. I pray for every mother and every wife that's in this building tonight, God, that we would be positive influences, not only on our biological children, but we would be positive positive influences, Lord, upon those children and others in our lives that you have given us access to. I pray, oh God, that your holy anointing would rest upon our heart, our lives. Let the power and the authority of your spirit abide in our homes. I pray, God, that a spirit of peace would touch every home that's in this church. Lord, that our homes would not be filled with arguments and our homes would not be filled with a spirit of insurrection, but God, let our homes be tabernacles of your presence and let our homes be a place oh God that's a refuge for our children and a refuge Lord for our companions let our homes be a refuge for our friends and family God I pray that you would touch us and anoint us Lord now as a church family I pray God that you would place your hands upon us that your anointing and your authority oh God would always abide in this house and I pray God again tonight that when people pull into the driveway and they come upon the very property of this building Lord that they would begin to feel your spirit and they would feel your peace right then and there and I pray oh God when they walk into the house of the Lord that they would feel your presence and the liberty of your spirit and that that would create in in them God a desire to repent of their sins, a desire to make wrongs right and I pray God that your anointing would be upon the sinner to the point Lord they can't walk out of this building unchanged but they've got to run to an altar of repentance. I pray for the saints of God oh Lord that a spirit of repentance and conviction would abide forever in our lives and in our in our atmosphere. I pray God that you would touch the leadership of our church and their respective ministries and departments and I pray God that your anointing will be upon them, that you will lead us and guide us and help us to follow you with wisdom. Help us, oh Lord, to never forget the miracles and not allow our fears, oh God, to become reality to us but I pray that we would put them in your hands and let the anointing of the Holy Ghost lead us and 
and guide us and strengthen us now. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord, we serve a great God. You hear me tonight? We serve a great big God. We serve a capable God. He is able. Amen. We can say to that mountain, he said, be thou removed into the sea. We have that kind of authority, that kind of power. I want to never forget where God has brought us and what he has done in our lives. He's a great God. He's a great God. Amen. Thank you for your attention tonight. Thank you for receiving the word of the Lord. Let's come together again Sunday morning. Let's pray for Brother and Sister Peyton that God will give them traveling mercies on their way here Saturday and that God would touch them to anoint our heart, ignite something in our lives. They're not just coming to share their burden, their testimony, but they're coming to be a blessing to our church as well. May the Lord bless you. Greet one another. Would you do that? In the name of the Lord. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386 935 2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.